You know me when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all of my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in and behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from you, your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, and if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, and the, for the darkness is as light to you. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we just thank you for this new day, Lord. We just thank you, Father, that you love us so much and that uh, you know our coming and going. You know our every thought. And I pray this morning for each one of us, Lord, that um, we would have ears to hear and, and we would just um, listen to your word as it's preached. And Father, I pray for each one of us that we would grow in your word this morning. I pray that you would uh, bless Brother Steve as he brings forth the word. And we just pray for our friends and neighbors that aren't here this morning, that you would be with them. Just bless our time. And Father, we just pray that you would be honored by us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Jim. Good morning, Berean. Are you awake? Okay, good. Thank you, praise team, for leading us into worship. Last week, we finished a series in the book of Judges. And what a dark book, especially near the end. The last four chapters of the book of Judges. The nation Israel worshiping pagan gods. There was war against other nations. Last week we saw a civil war, 11 tribes against Benjamin. There was violence everywhere. There was murder going on. There was uh, big battles going on, heroes, big stories. Everyone was doing right in their own eyes. There was no king. There was chaos going on. But during all that chaos, there is ordinary life going on, ordinary people. There were some faithful people, which we're going to look at today in the book of Ruth. Because Bible scholars say the book of Ruth actually took place during the time of Judges. In fact, most likely during the time of Gideon. The time of Gideon. So while the fate of the nations were being decided, everyday life was going on. And while society, for Israel society, was in a downward spiral of apostasy, there were some faithful people living for God. And Ruth is going to show us how throughout the chaos of the time, there were three faithful people that followed God in his commands. Does that sound like our society today? Come on, 2020. What type of year has 2020 been? We're going to look back. I mean, I'm going to look back and tell my grandkids someday, I survived 2020. I mean, how many pandemics do you live through? I wasn't around in 1917, 1918. I don't know about that one. But to have a pandemic, to have our economy shut down, to have fires out in California, earthquakes in the south, you've got a person uh, in North Korea, in Iran, other hot spots around the world, and it's an election year. You throw that all together, 
And it's like, what's happening? There's violence, turmoil, racial unrest, but yet ordinary life goes on, doesn't it? Despite all the chaos, ordinary life goes on. And God is concerned. God still loves us, and God is still in control. So in this chaos of all of the book of Judges and everything going on, we see this book of Ruth. I'm glad Ruth follows the book of Judges because it gives you, it's like a change of gears. It gives you some relief from the book of Judges. In fact, someone said 2020 is such a terrible year that next Saturday night into Sunday, guess what? We get to add another hour to it. So don't forget, Saturday going into Sunday, turn your clocks back. If you don't, we're going to have the largest group of prayer meeting at 9 o'clock we've ever had. Now, the author of Ruth is unknown. Some people think it's Samuel. It's written sometime after the book of Judges, and there's hints throughout the book that we'll get into it soon. If you don't have your Bibles, it will be on the screen, but I'm turning to Ruth chapter 1, and we're only covering two chapters today. I, uh, at one time, I, I was going to cover it all in one sermon. I can't. There's too many theological truths in this book to cover in one week. So let's take a look at verse 1. In those days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Imelech, his wife's name was Naomi, and the name of the two sons were Malon and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Israel had a covenant relationship with God at that time. And in Deuteronomy 28, God was very clear to the people of Israel. You obey me, I will bless you. You disobey me, and cursing will come. Now, God doesn't deal with us exactly the same way today. We, we live in the age of grace. But back then, famine... Famine was probably because of the disobedience of Israel. Remember, this was the time of Gideon. Remember, Gideon was against the Midianites. And every time at harvest, the Midianites and the Amalekites would come and invade the harvest. They would come in like swarms of locusts and steal everything. So here we had this man, and I do have a map I want to show you right here. There's a little bit of an eye test. The story starts off in Jerusalem, and they're going to move 100 miles or so over to Moab. Now, if you think of Moab right away, hey, I've heard that name before. When we went through the book of Judges, we had that great story of that great big fat king of Moab. His name was Eglon. And we had one of the judges, the left-handed Benjamite Ehud, that assassin, he stabbed King Eglon. Well, some time had lapsed now between this, and it was now safe. The relationships between both countries had cooled down, and they were able to take that 100-mile trip over to Moab. The Bible never hides the flaws of its characters. Do you know how the country or nation of Moab started? Lot had two, Lot, Abraham's nephew, had two older daughters. They wanted kids. They couldn't find a guy. They got their dad drunk and had an incestuous relationship. And one of the sons born was Moab. This country came from Lot's oldest daughter. Now, life was tough in a foreign land. Uh, you had to work hard. You couldn't own land when you traveled into someone else's land, so you had to work as a hired hand. And life was very, very tough. 
So let's take a look. Uh, well, first of all, the names here. All the names mean something. Amalek means God is king, godly man. Naomi means the pleasant one. The two sons, Malan and Kilian, their names mean weakly, sick, puny. I don't know why you would name your kids that. Or the mean came after the names. I'm sure that's what happened. But 10 years <coughs> into the land, the dad died and the two sons died. And the sad thing is not only did they die, they did not leave any sons behind. So we re keep reading here in... Um, Verse 3, now Amalek, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women. One named Oprah, Winfrey, no, Oprah, and the other Ruth. I heard, as I studied this, someone said that Oprah Winfrey was named after, this true story, named after Oprah, but they spelled her name wrong. And actually, she's named after this lady. That's, this is what one commentary said. Okay, you heard it first here. Okay. <laughs> After they had lived there about 10 years, both Malon and, and Killian also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. Uh, this is a, uh, just a tough time here in a foreign land, and they both died. It's very hard, too, when you're a widow. Back in Bible times, it was a male-dominated culture. So if you're a widow, it was a very dangerous situation. And it was very sad that both her husband and her two sons died. Well, let's take a look at verse 6. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out to the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you find rest in the home of another husband. Th then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. The famine is over. One of the things you're going to see in this book of Ruth is God's providential hand. There's a reason the famine is over. God has a special person in Bethlehem that she wants Ruth to meet. God's hand guides everything. The weather, putting people in positions, taking people down in positions. Someone I shared with the prayer meeting tonight I heard recently concerning the coming election, people roll the dice, but God determines the outcome of the dice. So God has a special plan, and he controls the famine and the harvest, and he chooses the fate of individuals. I love thinking back, and everybody can think back in your own life, and you see how God has worked in your life in a providential way. His sovereign guidance led you certain places to certain people. God is in control. Now, this is a great compliment to Naomi's character that the two girls want to follow her. Now, these girls were from Moab. They were raised with pagan gods. Their family was in Moab. And here, they want to follow Naomi. What a great compliment. A lot of times, people like to make mother-in-law jokes. They love their mother-in-law. She had made such an impression on them that they want to sacrifice and go back 
to Israel with her. And it was going to be tough. But they want to follow Naomi. Now, there was a, a practice back then that called the Leverite marriage. It's uh, talked about in Deuteronomy 25, that if a man died with no kids, a brother would be allowed to marry the widow. And the first son born to them would take on the dead brother's name and the inheritance. But in this situation, with Ruth and Opa, there was no brothers available. They had no one to turn to. So initially, they're both wanting to go back with Ruth. Let's take a look at verse 11. But Naomi said, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this, they wept aloud again. Then Oprah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth clung to her. You have two daughters. Initially, they both want to go. A lot of Bible scholars feel that they had been converted, that they now worship the God of Israel. You know, one of the warnings in Scripture is you should not marry pagan women because in most cases, pagan women will influence you to worship their pagan gods. This would be an exception where in this situation, when the two sons married two Moabite women, the godly influence was so strong in that family that they now believed in the true God of Israel. Tommy Nelson, a Bible teacher graduate of Dallas Theological Seminary, brings up an interesting point. He contrasts Opa and Ruth here. What made the difference? Why did Opa turn back eventually and go back to, to Moab? And why did Ruth go with Naomi? What made the difference? And he says the biggest difference was suffering. Suffering laid ahead. And suffering makes the big difference. Jesus never promised his followers a smooth road. Jesus never promised that. He says in Luke 9, 23, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. You remember the story of the rich young ruler came to Jesus, I want to follow you. Jesus says, go sell all your money, give it to the poor and follow me. And what did the young ruler do? He left. He was sad. He was sad. It was tough to follow the Lord. And to follow the Lord, you have to realize that there's going to be suffering. John chapter 6, there's a story there um, of Jesus talking to his disciples. And Jesus' teaching is getting very, very hard. And in John 6, starting with verse 66... It says, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the 12. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. And here Ruth through the testimony of Naomi, she was like Peter. Who should I turn to? I want to stay with you and worship your God. 
And we, we go on, you know, she says, let, let's go on and read verse 15. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. When you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. Wow, now that's, that's determination. That is determination. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. We used to sing the song in church growing up, I had decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Uh, though none go with me, I still will follow. No turning back. No turning back. My cross I'll carry till I see Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. In history, 1519 from Spain, Hernando Cortez. I think I missed this lesson in history class, or maybe I was sleeping. But he landed in Mexico. And do you know what he did when he landed in Mexico? Does anybody know this story? He ordered his men to burn all their ships. He said, we're not going back. We're going to establish ourselves here. There's no turning back. We're going to be here. Ruth was determined to go with Naomi no matter what the cost. Oprah, Oprah, Oprah. Whatever, you know what I'm talking about. She considered the cost. Initially, there's a lot of godly people that claim to know God. But when they consider the cost, they turn back. They turn away. What made the difference? Persecution, suffering, a hard life. Now, we hear false doctrine today. We, we have preachers today that are up saying, you become a Christian, your life is going to smooth, be smooth. You're going to get rich. Everything is going to be great. All your problems are going to disappear. That's completely false. Scripture doesn't teach that. Okay, let's take a look at verse 18. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived at Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? They hadn't seen her in 10 years. She had been through so much in those 10 years. The people did not even recognize her. She looked different just from all that she had gone through. Verse 20, don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty, which is, by the way, El Shaddai, has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi. The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Her life has changed. She left with a husband and two sons. She comes back with a daughter-in-law. Bittersweet return back to the land. That word Mara should sound familiar to some of you. It comes from the book of Exodus, Exodus 15. When the children of Israel were wandering in the desert, they were thirsty one day, and they were very thirsty. You know, the people of Israel, they like to grumble a lot, right? And they were grumbling, and they came to a place called Marah, and they found some water, and they started to drink that water, but the water was very, very bitter. 
You remember this story? So Moses prayed, God, I got some grumbling people. What should I do? God says, there's a living tree over there. Take that living tree, throw it into the water, which Moses did, and the water became sweet. It went from bitter to sweet. Many years later, there would be a Calvary tree which would make something bitter into something sweet. Turning from God, not obeying God, disobedience from God can also make your life bitter. Following God, even though there may be problems, and there are problems, even persecution and suffering, makes life sweet. But in this book, through the book of Judges and the book of Ruth, God's purposes will be accomplished even in bad situations. Out in front of our church, we have a huge cross. What is the cross? It's a symbol of execution, isn't it? It's what the Romans used, what the Jewish leaders used to crucify people. But what men thought for evil, God made it for good, right? Same thing Joseph told his brothers when he was sold into slavery and rescued them from the famine. What you meant for harm, God meant for good. So that cross is a symbol of victory and triumph, even though it's a symbol of execution. Naomi doesn't see the big picture yet, does she? Naomi hasn't had a chance to read the whole book of Ruth yet. She's living it, isn't she? Isn't that like you and I? We go through life, bad things happen to us. And it's like, why, Lord, why? And you see Naomi, a godly woman, she's, she's bitter. But she doesn't see the whole picture yet. And that's a reminder to all of us when bad things happen to us. God's providential hand. God is, God is concerned about us. He cares about us. He knows our tomorrow. Hang in there. Ask the Lord to give you strength to get through that trial. We're in the middle of our story. There, there's more to come, right? Better days. <laughs> Better days to come. Right now, what's Ruth looking at? Just the life of being a widow? Loneliness, helplessness, it's tough. It's tough when you're a widow, especially back then. Take a look at chapter 2. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Emelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. There was a practice back then, and it was biblical in the field, that at harvest time, and this was during the barley harvest and the wheat harvest later, that the farmers, whenever you did harvest, the corner of the crops, you saved those for poor people to come later. And if you dropped any grain on the ground, you didn't go and pick it up. You left that for people to glean later. We, we had the group, the great group called the Gleaners out there right now, getting their name from this. So the poor people were allowed to come and get the, the leftovers, so to speak, from the crop. Take a look at verse 3. So she went out, entered the field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan, clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Is this a coincidence? Is this a coincidence? No, it's God's providence. This is God's, her, her steps were, guide, were divinely guided to that field. 
that Boaz owned. You also see the man Boaz is. I mean, how does he treat his workers? Hey, the Lord bless you. The workers respond, the Lord bless you. There's, there is mutual respect here. Bo Boaz was a godly man. Take a look at verse 5. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvest, who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, my daughter listen to me. Now he uses the word daughter. There's a big age difference here. Big age difference between Boaz and Ruth. My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field, and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field um, where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you, and whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars uh, the men have filled. Wow. Uh, I guess Boaz has sort of taken notice of, of Ruth here. And uh, again, there's a big age difference, but here, stay, stay with the women, because the men would harvest, their women would be behind them, and then the poor people would come. So Boaz says, stay with the women that work for me. It's safer there. Again, it's a male-dominated culture. The morals are very low now. Many women were taken advantage of. So stay with the working women. And by the way, if you're thirsty, you don't have to walk a mile down to the well. I've got drinking water right here for my workers. Go help yourself. Yeah. God provides. It's interesting, too, um, let's, let's continue reading at verse 10. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I have been, I have been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. That's a beautiful verse. We're going to hit on that verse more next week. But under whose wings? The psalmist David was going through many trials, and in in Psalm 57, 1, he says, Have mercy on me, my God. Have mercy on me, for in you I take refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. That phrase, the shelter under the wings, is used often in Scripture. Now, it's interesting that Boaz is reaching out to a foreigner. Very interesting. Does anybody know whose Ruth's dad was, according to genealogies? Ruth, I mean, I'm sorry, um, yeah, Ruth's dad was Salmon. Does, does that ring a bell? I know it sounds a little fishy, Salmon. Mom was Rahab. What do you know about Rahab? A Canaanite harlot. Remember from the town of Jericho? And the genealogies? That's where Boaz came from. His mom, foreigner, right? A non-Israelite. So, yes, Boaz did notice Ruth. Take a look, verse 13. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come over here, have some bread, and dip it in the wine vinegar. 
When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men. Let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the fields until evening. Then she threshed the, the barley she had gathered and it mounted to about a ephah. Ephah is about 30 pounds. Okay, 30 pounds. Some people say, Ruth is so lucky. She is so lucky. They use those words. Jimmy Johnson, the former coach of the Dallas Cowboys, you might see him at halftime of the Lions game today. He's one of the commentators with the nice hair. And uh, he was asked about luck. Jimmy Johnson, what do you think about luck? Jimmy Johnson says, it's interesting. Hard-working, disciplined people get lucky. Hard-working, disciplined people get lucky. Ruth doesn't understand the full will of God right now, but I tell you one thing. She's proactive. She's out there working hard. She also has the providential hand of God leading her in the right place. But she's, she's out there working hard right now, gleaning. And in a very humble way, she, she took her spot in the back where the poor people gleaned. She was a poor person. She's back there in a very humble way. There, there's a great parable in the book of Luke that Ruth is practicing the principle of. It's Luke 14. It's a short parable, uh, 7 through 11 here. Let me read this. Jesus is, is speaking here. When, when he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host will, who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you'll have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Didn't our Lord demonstrate that in his life? When, when you saw the Lord washing the feet of the disciples, the Lord washing the feet of the disciples. And in Philippians chapter 2, that, that famous passage of Scripture uh, where we read in 7th verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking for your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance of man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus, our perfect example. Let me ask you, are you a humble person? How do you perceive yourself? Are you a humble person? Are you a servant? Ruth, she humbled herself. She, she got back there. Hey, I have a choice. I can sit around, mumble, and complain about my bad situation. Or I can get out there and do something. She doesn't understand the whole will of God right now. She, she, there's one thing she understands. I need to do something. I need to work. I need to go out and get some food. So she was faithful 
She was loyal to Naomi, and you see her out there working. Take a look at verse 18, chapter 2. She carried it back to town, so she must have been pretty strong, too, 30 pounds. I'm not sure how long she had to walk, but that's pretty good weight. She carried it back to town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also uh, brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. When she had the roasted grain, there was leftovers. So she brought the left, hey, can I have a doggy bag? She brought the doggy bag home, okay? Her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed is the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I work with today is Boaz, she said. <laughs> Naomi, the Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He, he has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead, she added. That man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. Now, some of your translations, you might have kinsman redeemer. We'll get more into this next week on kinsman redeemer. But the definition, the Hebrew word is the word goel. The definition, it's a male relative had the privilege or responsibility to act on behalf of a relative who was in trouble, danger, or need. A goel is one who delivers or rescues their relative. Now, you can see on the board that there's three things. Again, this is according to Scripture, and I have the Scripture down there, that a kinsman redeemer can do. He could buy back family land sold in hardship. Most likely, Imelech, before he moved, had to sell or lease his land during the hard times. So their land was gone. He could buy back family members sold as slaves. He could marry a family widow to keep the family line going, as we mentioned before, a Leverite marriage. He didn't have to marry if he chose not to marry, the next in line could. Keep that in mind. Verse 21. Then Ruth the Moabite said, he even said to me, stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him because in someone else's field, you might be harmed. After barley harvest, which was March and April, the wheat harvest would also follow in June and July. So she had a lot of harvesting to do. There are four months laid ahead where she was invited to go back. And if you listen very carefully, you might hear Naomi singing, matchmaker, matchmaker, make me a match. All that's going on. You know, and as far as the application, God's providence, his sovereign hand guiding you and me is, is a great hope that we have, Amen. is a great help when you go through tough times. I think I, I, I like that quote by Jimmy Johnson about the, you know, good luck goes to hardworking people. You don't always understand God's complete will for your life. You don't understand completely where God's going to take you a year from now or two years from now. But you know what? God wants you to be faithful in whatever you're doing right now. God has revealed truths through his word. And wherever God has placed you right now, be faithful right now. Go out like Ruth. Work hard. Be humble. Do your job and leave it to the hands of God to take care of you. God's got great plans for Ruth. Little things come into Ruth's life that will accomplish God's great plan. God, God can use famine. 
Naomi's relocation, the return to Bethlehem, sending her to Boaz Field. What does Romans 8.28? Dolores, you prayed this in your prayer this morning. And we know that in all things, God works for the good for those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Her loyalty is being rewarded here. I mean, she, she made a sacrifice to follow Naomi home. And we're going to see next week, again, I don't have time to do the whole lesson today. We're going to see that she's going to be rewarded for her faithfulness. God's going to... God's going to bless her for how she um, responded to Naomi's request. The, the second thing today is God is concerned about all people. Ruth was a widow in a pagan land. She was from Moab. She was a Moabite. She wasn't a Jew. She was a female in a time where it's a male-dominated culture, and let's face it, there's been many religions throughout time that elevate men and dishonor women. When we studied the book of Galatians last year, the great verse in Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor or female, you are all one in Christ Jesus. There's no such thing as an unimportant person, you know, in God's eyes. All are made in God's image. All people are made in God's image. What did I used to sing at church growing up? Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white, they are what? They're all precious in his sight. And it's just, it's just a good reminder to all of us that that man that lives down the street that dresses differently from me, he speaks a different language. He believes different things. He's important to God. He's, he's important to God. God loves him. He was made in God's image. Even though I have a lot of differences. What does the Great Commission say in Matthew 28, 19? Go and make disciples of what? All nations. Go and make disciples of all. Every person is important to God. And here we see Ruth, a foreign girl from a pagan nation, a widow, but yet in God's eyes, she's important. And we see this in this book. You know, uh, in John's great book of the book of Revelation, he gets a, an image of heaven. And in chapter 7, starting with verse 9, here's what he sees. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. I love that. People from all tribes, all nations, standing, male, female, standing before God, giving him praise. Well, th there's many more theological truths that we'll go into next week. It's, it's too hard to cover just to whet your appetite. Um, does Ruth and Boaz, are they going to get married? There's a big age difference. Will they get married? Okay, that's one question. And will they ever have kids? Are they going to have kids? That's important back then. What would be the kids' names? Now, it's not going to be um, Babe Ruth, <laughs> in case you're thinking that. No. Now it could be Babe Ruth. Okay. Kinsman Redeemer. What, what does it mean to have a kinsman redeemer? Do you have a kinsman redeemer? Do I have a kinsman redeemer? Come back next week. Okay? Same time, same place. Turn the clocks back. One hour.
If you don't, you're going to be here an hour early, okay? So come back next. But I, I'm just so thankful this morning. And again, I, I think we look back at God's providential hand. And, and Corey, I'm going to embarrass you one more time. Some, so God brought Corey to this church when he was 11 years old. And he accepted the Lord as his personal Savior. Isn't that a blessing, Corey? And like, God's hand brought you here. And here many years later, Corey is here sitting with us today. We, we, we can all look back. We can look back. You know, as I'm up here in front of you uh, today, um, I never thought I'd be in this position. But I was going through a rough time in my life many years ago. And, and God put something in my heart. He says, Steve, I want you to take classes at Liberty University. And I started taking classes, and, and Pastor John Shin was here at the time, and, and he was my, my test proctor, and I started taking classes. And it took me 12 years, but I got a Bible degree from Liberty University. Lord, why, why do you want me to get a Bible degree? Why do you want me to get a Bible degree? God knew. God knew through his providential hand that circumstances would come up where I would be before you this morning, giving you God's word. You see, you see God's providential hand there. So even, even through rough times, God is working. God is working. We don't always understand his will. But hang in there. Hang in there. Be faithful to God for what you are doing today. And God will bless you. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for these great truths from your word. And Lord, we thank you for your grace and mercy shown to us. We, we disobey, we fail you in so many ways, but yet, Lord, you, you continue to work in our lives. Lord, you know our future. We're in your hand. We're under your wings. So, Lord, I, I pray, help us to be faithful in what we're doing now. Lord, give us the strength each day. Help us to be obedient and help us to have a humble attitude like Ruth. Lord, and we have your son as the perfect example of humility. Lord, we have nothing to brag about anyways. We're, we're sinners saved by grace. So Lord, just bless this church Bless our time together. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.